want to greet each one in Jesus' name this morning. Count it a privilege to be here among you. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. And I'm thankful for that work which God hath, has begun in you and which he has begun in each of our lives. And we have the confidence that as he begins that work, that he will perform it. He, he can perform it. He can continue that work. How many times have us start, we start a project and we, uh, we begin something? And um, like I told my wife, it's always fun to plant a garden. But you know, the, the beginning is easy, and the, but the continuing is sometimes what's hard to do. And, but we have the confidence that God, as he begins the work within us, that he can continue it. And that he will fulfill it. He will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. want to bring uh, Christian greetings to each of you from the, uh, the church at Salisbury, Maryland as well. Or Salisbury, Del Delaware, I guess. Or Delmar, Delaware. So Dwight, as he texted me and asked me if I would come and bring a message or come here this morning. And he gave me a title for the message today. That is the administration of the Holy Spirit in the life of the congregation. And so I'd like to look at that, look at the Holy Spirit and how he works within the life of, of the congregation, within the life of your church. And we can, I think we can, as we look at past history, we can see how the Holy Spirit has worked and how the Holy Spirit will continue to work. So as we think of the congregation that is here, we also call it the church. And what is the church? What is the group that is here this morning? It's not just a family gathering. It's not just a, a social club. It's not just a, a group that have met for a common interest. It is. But rather, it's a group. It is, it is a group where Christ has called. We have called the name of Christ. And as such, it is the body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ, where Christ is the head. Jesus said in Matthew 18, verse 20, that where two or three are gathered together in my name, there will I be in the midst of them. And I trust that he is in the midst of us this morning, that as we are here, gathered in his name, to here to do his work, here to be called of him, that he is in the midst of us. But he is the head of the church. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter one, Ephesians chapter 4. As we think of the church as well. I'd like to look a little bit of the purpose of the church. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up unto on high, he led captivity captive, and gave gifts unto men. 
Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Here he brings out that he gave some apostles, some prophets. He, is, he set up the church and the, the organizational structure of the church. And he says, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, the church is a body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and unto the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I believe God gave us the church to bring each of us into the measure of the fullness of Christ, to be like Christ. That is, that is his desire, to bring us into the stature of the fullness of Christ. And that is a high calling for each of us. So as we think about the administration of the Holy Spirit, Christ is the head of the church. But he has given us the Holy Spirit. And we'll look at that a little bit later as the gift of the Holy Spirit. But if you think of looking at this title and the word administration, I struggle just a little bit with that word and how to apply that. And so as, as you look at the definition of administration, the administration of the Holy Spirit, we recognize that the Holy Spirit moves among the congregation, moves among God's people. But administration means one definition is the executive part of the government. We have the, the uh, White House, the Biden administration of the United States. That's the executive part of government. We call him as a noun, as the administration. Another definition is those persons collectively who are entrusted with the execution of laws. Those people that, ha that administer the, the, the laws and the, and the duties and, and the fulfillment of what the administration desires. And then the third definition is the, is the act of administering, direction, management, conducting of any office. Or you might say also you administer medication, you administer drugs in, med in the, the medical world. The act of administering directive. And so as I was thinking about, the whole, about this title and the, the subject of the administering the Holy Spirit, I think there's aspects of all three of these that we can find in the message that, we, that we're bringing to this morning. First of all, Jesus, as in John chapter 14, he says, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him. For he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. Jesus, as he was talking with his disciples here, and he was preparing them for his, for his eventual departure, he says, if you love me, keep my commandments, and then I will send you, I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. He promises, he promised the gift of the Holy Spirit to his disciples and to the church. Jesus then went to the cross, and he died. And he rose again. And then he, and then he met his disciples after his resurrection. And, 
And then when, as he met them in John chapter 20, he says, And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. Jesus, as he was getting ready to leave, he breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. And I find that interesting that Jesus said that he breathed on them. You know, back in Genesis, God breathed into man the breath of life. And Jesus, as he was getting ready to go back to his father, he breathed on his disciples and said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. He gave them the life of the church through the Holy Spirit. Whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted. Whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. And then we have the, the visual act of that in, in Acts. At Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2. As they were there at, in Jerusalem, and they were gathered all together. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That was a visual giving of the Holy Spirit upon them. And then later on, after Peter and John, they went to the temple and they, uh, they healed the lame man and, and they were called before the council. And they were told that they were no longer allowed to, they were not supposed to uh, speak in the name of Jesus. But they came back together again. And it says that, the spirit, the, the, the place was shaken and the spirit of God came upon them again. Another visual uh, sign of the spirit of Holy Spirit coming upon them. So the Holy Spirit is the life of the church. It is the life what brings life. Without the Holy Spirit, there is no life in our congregation. We can meet together. We can have a, a meeting. We can come here and worship. But if we do not have the Holy Spirit within us, there is no life here. And, you know, as we, as we um, you know, go to different places, go to different churches, and, you, and we may look at the church, we say, there's a life here. But what is that life? It needs to be the life of the Holy Spirit dwelling within. And that shows itself in a life of, of yielding ourselves to, to God and to his word. So as we think of the Holy Spirit... The preeminence and the authority of the Holy Spirit as it relates to the church. You know, the Holy Spirit is the third part of the Godhead. He is part of, he is, he is God. Jesus, as he was leaving just before he went to heaven, in Matthew 28, verse 19, he told his disciples, says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. The Godhead there is, is, is three. It's, it's, it's in one. 1 John 5, 7, there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. So the Holy Ghost, as part of the Godhead, is part of the head of the church. But the Bible says that Christ is the head of the church. Christ died for us. He is the head of the church. The Holy Ghost, as being part of the Godhead, is also part of the head. But... Jesus said in John 16, he says, When he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself. But whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. The Holy Spirit, as he leads us, and he guides and he leads a church, he doesn't speak of himself. He speaks of Jesus and of, and of the Father. And as we as leaders, as God has called us, I believe we need to follow the same pattern of that. We do not speak of ourselves. But we speak of those that of that which has been given to us. 
That which we hear through the word of God, that which the Holy Spirit speaks to us, we show the God, we, we lead in that way. It's not my church at Salisbury, it's not Dwight or Ernie's church here, but it's God's church and it's the Holy Church. It's the Holy Spirit's church. It's the, Spirit, the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John chapter 18, John verse 7, it says, He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory. But the Holy Spirit does not speak of himself, does not seek his own glory. So the Holy Spirit is preeminent in that it is part of the Godhead. And it is the Holy Spirit, as he leaves a church, he is part of the Godhead, but he doesn't speak of himself. The next point I like to look at is how the Holy Spirit works within the church, within the congregation. And I believe as the Holy Spirit works within the congregation, works within the church, he begins his work with the individual in people's lives. He works individually and collectively. But he begins his work within the individual heart. Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 44, No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. No man can come to the Father except the Father draw him. And that is through the work of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 2, 3, uh, Paul said, No man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. So we had to, as we were having our, devotion, our Sunday school, we were talking about truth and how can we know truth. Truth comes by faith. Knowing truth comes by faith. And as we, as we yield ourselves to the revealed truth in our life, then then uh, he guides us into more truth. But you know, that truth comes by the Holy Ghost. That truth, that seeking after God comes as God draws us. And that's why the scriptures warn us not to spurn the Holy Ghost. Because it is the Holy Ghost that draws us to him. And when we, when we spurn the Holy Ghost, when we, when we put him aside, we lose the mechanism of coming to God. The Holy Spirit also, it, it draws us to him, it, it, it allows us, it causes us to seek after God. It also leads us to repentance. Romans 2 verse 4, he says, or despises, Paul says, Despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. We cannot come to repentance on our own. It's through the work of the Holy Spirit, through the goodness of God. The Holy Spirit is also is what gives us life. John 6, verse, John 6, 63 says, It is a spirit that quickness. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. It is through the Holy Spirit that we have life. It is through the Holy Spirit that we also have spiritual guidance. John 16, 13, again, albeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. It is the Holy Spirit that guides us. It is the Holy Spirit that leads us, personally and also congregationally as well. Roman, another verse, Romans 8, 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. I believe that's a, that's a criteria to be being called the sons of God is to be led by his spirit and to allow his spirit into our life and to, and to lead us. 
Another way the Holy Spirit works in the life of the congregation personally also. We find that Romans 8 verse 26. Romans 8 verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. It is the Spirit that makes intercession for us. It is the Spirit that intercedes on our behalf, that works in our prayers. Here he says we, we do not always know what we should pray for, but it's the Spirit maketh intercessions for us. We may not even be able to verbalize the desires of our heart, but the Spirit knows and he makes intercessions for, intercession for us. And then in verse 28, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. You know, as we allow God's spirit to work in our life, then we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. You know, many, many people wonder how things that are were happening in their life, how that it can be any good and how, how can God allow this? But as we look through the eyes of faith and as we allow God's spirit to work in our life, then we can have the confidence that those things are for our good. The, the criteria is for them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. So now looking, next looking at how the Holy Spirit works in the life of the congregation as a collective body of believers or corporately. Corporate means to be united in a body or community as a number of individuals. And that is, that is what the church is. The church is a group of believers, the body of Christ. I believe the Holy Spirit works in, through the church in the corporate way, through the calling of leaders, and through the setting of each one in the body of Christ. And we find that again in uh, Ephesians 4 that we read. He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith. The work of the church is to bring unity in the faith. Unity together, that is the work of the church, and it's through the calling of the, by the Holy Spirit. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. By the, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit withal. To one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another, the word of knowledge by the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, the gifts of healing by the same spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. 
to another divers kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and the selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. For as a body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, Because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, Because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee. Nor again the head of the feet, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. So here we see how that God has set each one of us in particular within the body of Christ. God has set me in my place within the church. He has set you within your place within the church. And he has a calling for your life. He has placed your brother in the church for his purpose. And they all have differing roles within the church. They, are they all have different backgrounds. They all have different perspectives. But as we all fill our place within the body of Christ, we can see the working of the Spirit through the church, through the collective body of believers, as he has placed each of us here for his purpose and for his work. And I believe the Holy Spirit works in a very real way within the church in that way. God has placed you in your, in, your, in your place within the church, within the body, for his purpose. He calls individuals individually. He works with people individually, but he also works within the congregation on a collective level. And we cannot minimize the, the work of the Holy Spirit on the individual level. Because the work, that work it must be done first within, within the church. But we also cannot minimize the work of the Spirit in, in calling and setting each person within the church in their, in their, in their calling and in their place. He has called leaders. He has called uh, different, different ones within the body. And any, 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 um, Minimizing one to the to the maximizing of the other, we can fall on either side of the ditch as we as we focus on the spirit working on the individual level or on the or on the corporate level, and he works together in that for the unifying of the body of Christ. 
And as you are looking forward to the upcoming ordination, I believe that's a work of the Holy Spirit. He works, first of all, through the, through the individual. And he also works through the leaders and seeing the need for, for that. But then he works through the individual in placing a, placing a name within your heart to give. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And then he works through the, uh, you, you know, through the leaders as they administrate that. And then sometimes if there's a lot, he works through the lot to call. And we recognize all as God's spirit. And then he will work through the brother that is called to, to, to lead and to teach. I believe the Holy Spirit also works in the church through... Not the only the organization through the calling or the organizational structure. But he also works in the church through what I would call the corporate expression. And the first point I have on that is the preaching of the word. You know, each of us, we, we can read the Bible on a personal level. And we can understand the word of God, but I believe we also need to hear the preaching of the word to understand God's word, God's will. Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. So here he, here he brings out, he says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But it is the Holy Spirit that draws and that leads and I believe he uses the the work of the church to call it says how shall they call on him in whom they have not heard or how shall believe in him and whom or how shall they hear without a preacher and so I believe that is the work of that is one function of the work of the Holy Spirit is in the calling of those to to bring the word of God second Timothy 4 verse 17. Paul, as he's talking to Timothy, he says, Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. The Holy Spirit was using Paul to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Along with preaching comes that of teaching. Teaching the truths of God's word. Colossians 2 verse 7, he says, Being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. And 1 Corinthians 2 13, Which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. So as we preach and as we teach, our preaching, our teaching, if it comes from the Holy Ghost, it comes from the Word of God. It comes from the Holy Spirit illuminating God's Word to first into my life and then as I, as I teach it and bring it out to others. Another corporate expression that I believe the Holy Spirit moves through in the life of the congregation is that of singing. 
You know, we sing individually, but we also sing as a group. And I appreciate the, the, the group singing that we have, the, the four-part harmony. And I recognize that the four-part harmony is, is more of a recent development in music. But we can see a lot of the, lot of the unity and a lot of the harmony that, is, that Christ would have for the church within music in that way. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Singing, I believe, has a very powerful message, and first in my heart, and then in the, in the lives of those around, around us. As you go, look back through history, and you, read, you look back through the, the martyr's mirror of the Christians that were, were, uh, were being persecuted, they gained a lot of strength through singing. I was reading a book recently about a man that he was... Um, he was struggling with the, with the fact of faith. And, of course, he, he came from the, you know, his background was the American Christianity where, you know, we have a good life and we worship God. And he was struggling with the fact of faith and how Christians could maintain their faith in spite of persecution. And so he went on a journey to, to, uh, to meet with people that were being persecuted in, in persecuted countries. And one thing he found out was that as they, as they sang, they were able to maintain their faith. And it was through singing that they were strengthened and that others were strengthened as well. And I believe the Holy Spirit works through that. There is much spiritual strength gathered, through, gathered through, through singing. We have the example of Paul and Silas as they were in prison. And they were singing there at night and then the, doors were, oh, the gates were opened. So the last part I'd like to look at is how can we, as individuals, how do we administer the Holy Spirit in the church? And, and thinking of that, that word, the, the meaning of administer the Holy Spirit, dispensing or, or doing the work of the Holy Spirit. Referring to the action part of administer. First of all, I don't believe that I as myself have the ability to administer and to dispense the Holy Spirit. But it's as I allow the Holy Spirit to work in my life. As I allow the Holy Spirit to work through me, then I become a channel or a vessel through which the Holy Spirit is, can be dispensed or can be administered to others. So it's not my work, but it's God's work. It's the Holy Spirit's work in my life that then allows me to be used to administer the Holy Spirit to others. God said of Paul in Acts 9, in Acts 9 as he was choosing Paul and calling him, he told Barnabas, he said, Go to Paul because he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles, before kings and the children of Israel. God was calling Paul to be used of the Holy Ghost, a chosen vessel, and I believe he calls each of us as well. Isaiah, as he, was, as he had this vision, and he heard God saying, Who shall I send? His response was, Here am I, send me. 
And I believe as I have that response to God's call as well, then, then God can use me to be a channel to administer the Holy Spirit within the congregation and to others. Paul's prayer was in Romans 15 that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. Ministering means to, to be a helper and to help a minister of Jesus Christ, a helper of Jesus Christ. So as we administer the Holy Spirit in the church, I have several points on that. First is through prayer. Prayer is the channel through which we communicate with God. Prayer is the channel through which I believe the Holy Spirit also works in, in which God moves on our behalf. In Ephesians 1, verse 16 and 17, Paul says, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Do we pray for those around us? Do we pray for the work of Christ? As we're, doing, as we're doing the work of the church, each of us, do we pray and spend time in prayer and communicate with God in that way? Let's let the Spirit work through prayer. And many times the greatest work that we can do is on our knees. You know, there may, be a, there may be something that comes that we hardly know how to relate to. We hardly know how to, uh, how to, uh, to go forward with something. But if we spend time on our knees in prayer, the Holy Spirit can show us the way. And sometimes the Holy Spirit can work even without, even without our efforts as we, as we bring it to Him in prayer. The second point I have is we minister the Holy Spirit is that of obedience. Obedience to the call of God. Obedience to His will in my life. We cannot, we cannot be a vessel of the Holy Spirit if we're not living in obedience to His will. Jesus said, If ye love me, keep my commandments, and I will send the Comforter to you. It is through obedience, that he can, obedience and submission to, to God's will that He can work in my life. Through obedience to God, we have our fruit unto holiness. And that fruit, I believe, is the fruit of the Spirit. That of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. The fruit of the Spirit is, is shown in our life as we are submitted and yielded to God's will. Along, that, along with that, as we're a channel for the Holy Spirit, as we administer the Holy Spirit... It's through self-denial. Jesus said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. We must deny ourselves to allow the Spirit to work through our lives. I believe that the, the ability of the Holy Spirit to work in my life is directly into, in proportion to the amount that I'm, will, that I'm able to deny myself. The greater self that is, with, with, is within me, 
the less the Holy Spirit will be able to use me. But the Holy Spirit can still use me if, and I want to be careful how I say that, but the Holy Spirit can still use me if there is self within my life because God used Pharaoh to work his will. And I believe we can attest to the power of God how God can still use people that are not living a life of self-denial to do his work. But it won't be as effective as if my life is lived in self-denial. And I will not gain a blessing. I will not gain the benefit of living, of, of God's work being fulfilled in my life if I am not living a life of self-denial. The next way that we can administer the Holy Spirit or we can be a channel of that is that is to exhort one another daily. While it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Exhorting one another. Exhorting means to encourage, to embolden, to cheer, to advise. The primary sense seems to be to excite or give strength to. So are we exhorting one another? Are we exciting one another to follow God, to do His will? That's the way that we can allow the Holy Spirit to work through our life. Hebrews 10, verse 24 and 25 said, Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Provoking being similar to exhorting. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. You know, we can be channels of blessing. We can be channels for the Holy Spirit to work as we are willing to exhort one another and to provoke one another to love and to good works. Also with that comes the assembling together as a body of believers. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. You know, there's a lot of encouragement that is gained as you are in church on Sunday mornings. There's a lot of encouragement as faithful men are together in church. Or assembling together. Or if there's other, other church functions, other church um, uh Church uh, assemblies, as you're there and participating, there's a lot of encouragement and exhorting that is done through that way. There's a lot of encouragement and exhorting that is being done just through your faithfulness of life. You don't have to even say much, but as you are faithful, you encourage others. We've met people that, you know, friends that we have not seen for 20 years. And just seeing their faithfulness of life gave us a renewed vision to remain faithful. And so that's, at the very least, is just being faithful can encourage others. And that's the way the Holy Spirit can work also. Next point I have, how we can be a channel. And this is one that we may, we, we shy away from. And that is to rebuke. Paul's told Timothy, he says, Them that sin, rebuke before all, that others also may fear. That is a channel that we can be, uh, that we can administer the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, is speak out against sin. And so many times we want to be quiet. We just don't want to say anything. But if there is sin and we are willing to speak out for him, we can be a channel of God's Spirit working. Paul also told Timothy, he says, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke. Exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. And that call is, you know, we, uh, I guess you would probably say ministers are the face of that. 
But I believe that calling is for every one of us is to speak out against sin and to rebuke as we have opportunity. And we do that through the leading of the Holy Spirit. There can be a time to be silent, but most of the time we're probably silent when we should, should not be. We have the example of Peter with Ananias and Sapphira. How he was willing to speak out and to identify the sin that, that, they, were, that they were participating in. And so as we're on the job site, and there is, there is a conversation is, is going the wrong direction, are we willing to speak out and to rebuke if necessary? Last point I have, how this Holy Spirit works, is that of just simply inviting others to Christ. You know, we... As we live in our communities, and as people see our lives, our lives should be an invitation to the call of the gospel. Do we make, is our life an invitation? Is it, is it attractive? Is it something that people want to see? I had to, uh, <clears throat> I read a book called The Boy in the Window. And it was about a young, a young boy that grew up in a very, um, a very, a very hard life. His neighbors were Christians. And he went over there many times to, to, to play. And as he got older, and he was looking at life, and he's looking at you know, what kind of marriage he wanted and all that, he's like, that's the kind of life I want. Their life was an invitation to him to follow the gospel. Are our lives that invitation also? And then... We also verbally invite people as well. In Revelations chapter 22. Verse 17. Well, verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and offspring of David and the bright and the morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that heareth say, come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Here he says, and the spirit, the Holy Spirit says, come. It is the work of the Holy Spirit to invite. But he says, it's the bride also. That's, and the bride say, come. The bride is a church. And it is you and I here this morning. Inviting others to Christ. And I believe that is our calling, that is our mission here, is to give the invitation, the Spirit and the Bride say, come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. So God bless you as a congregation as you allow His Spirit to work among you. First in your individual lives and then through the life of your congregation. That you might come to the fullness of the stature of Christ. Let's kneel for prayer at this time.